This is a No Dama podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and this evening I'm joined by Martin Dowden, the CTO of Andromeda Galactic Solutions. Thank you very much for taking time out of your evening, Martin. Well, thank you for having me. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Well, I'm a front-end developer and designer by trade, so I do front-end UX and UI, both design and development, and uh, I specialize in accessibility. And this is the second time you've been on the podcast. The yep. first time we talked about teaching children to program. And if anyone wants to listen to that, I'll put a link in. But your your main type of work is on the front end. Correct. Yeah, I do what? mainly website and app development. And the front end stuff is what I'm really good at. And you talk at conferences about that too, I think. Well, um, mostly online these days. I do have a couple coming up, uh, one of which is called uh, Web Directions. Um, which will be a little bit later in uh, April. And, and that's that an online, online one? Yeah. And is, it, is that conference primarily focused on the front end or? Yeah, that one, uh, it's Hover. So it's mostly going to be CSS topics, uh, the entire conference. So that'll be really exciting for me. But tonight, we're going to talk primarily about accessibility and accessibility in websites and applications. When when I say the word accessibility, I'm not really sure what I mean. Can you give a description or definition? Yeah, so accessibility is mainly making sure that our websites and application are usable by everyone. So, I mean, everybody's different. And um, especially if um, the user has a disability, for example, they may be using some form of assistive technology. So those would be your screen readers, your braille readers, captions actually count uh, into that, uh, that sort of stuff. They may be a special mouth, um, special mouse or even like a sip and puff type device. Um, I mean, there's a slew of them out there. And the idea is making sure that our applications, whether it's a website or an app or can be used by all of the devices, but also is usable by anybody really. So it's it's an ac- it's really an access question and making sure that our stuff is accessible to everyone, hence that kind of where the name comes from, not to use the name in its definition, but there you go. <laughs> when you're talking about a screen reader, what challenges does that face when it's looking at a website? Well, the the big things are making sure that the code, and specifically in this case, the HTML, for example, if we're talking about a website, uh, is written um, following kind of the standards that were set for the web, because then it's predictable and the that things are being described, right? So if you're thinking, if you're thinking images and pictures and icons, like a screen eater doesn't see it per se, it's not going to interpret that image. So we have to make sure that there's code behind it for that to be able to be rendered textually uh, or in verbal form to the user. Also aspects is if you're using a screen reader, the likelihood of the user being a, using a mouse is fairly low, right? Because in order to use a mouse, you have to, you have to see what you're doing. So making sure that things are, um, that things can be navigated and interacted with using just your keyboard. So those are probably the biggest two things you come into with, um, with the screen readers is making sure that you can navigate it easily with just a keyboard and that things are being described. You mentioned captions as well. And I have a blog and there's occasion, occasionally images. And I, I put the blog through this testing tool and it often points out I don't have captions. What's the big deal about captions? Well, captions, like if we're thinking uh, anything that's audio, if somebody is deaf, they're not going to be able to listen to that right? Um, because they, they need to be able to visually see it. So the, the captions are there um, for um, 
people who can't listen to it. So that can be either the person is deaf, which is kind of the one we always think about, but they're also really, really useful for uh, if the language that the that the information is in. So in our case, English, right? So if English isn't your first language, captions can be really, really helpful uh, for somebody who's, you know, listening to it in order to be able to um, understand it if that's not their first language. Um, so that there's a there's a slew of reasons you might want captions. Those two are big ones. Also, I mean, if you think of um, when do people listen to podcasts, often when they're commuting. So if you think of the major cities and trains and stuff, you're not going to listen to a podcast full blast, right? So you may end up using captions because it's too noisy or uh, you're bored in a meeting and but you get the idea, right? So they're they're not only situationally very helpful, but they're also very, very necessary for individuals who are deaf and or hard of hearing. And then they're really, really helpful for comprehension and re retention for people who it's not their first language and for neuro, uh, neurodiversity as well. With the likes of images on a screen, what what's the name of the um, the backend element that allows a screen reader to describe that image? The alt uh, the alt tag is generally what's used, um, and that's an idea that you'd put in. It's a person throwing a frisbee or a, a dog walking on the beach or something like right. that, and the screen reader will describe it in that way. Correct. So it's really easy to see examples of it. You can pull up whatever, you know, um, I hate to use Twitter because they're not as an example because not, although it is very possible to do and I encourage everyone to do it and it's actually possible in a number of social media outlets. But if you right click on the image and you look, um, if the user has entered the alt text, you'll see the description. So generally, when you're writing that description, you're wanting to make sure to describe what's there, but the context is really important. So if you're thinking of it's an illustration trying to support a concept, you're going to want to describe that illustration. But if it's a maybe the the I don't know an arrow because you're pointing to you know to navigate forward. What's important about it is not that it's an arrow that the button is navigating you forward, right? So you're going to make a judgment call maybe as to how you're going to describe it. Is it that the action or the context is more important? Is it that the or is it that every detail of that image is more important? What's the general, why should I make a site more accessible answer? Well, why? Um, because you're a good human and you care about others. I mean, that's the, that's the yeah. lofty answer. But the, the, the real reason, the, 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 the answer really is the more people, the more people can use your, and use your site and understand your content, um, the more people are going to use it. So it's going to help you um, because you get more visitors to your site, which means more whatever your return is, right? Um, but it also means that they can easily access, navigate, and get access to your content. Um, so it's a, it's a, the reason you would want to do it is because you're a good human and you want people to get to your site and you want people to have an easy time using it. Um, but there's a lot of, if you're, if that's a hard one to sell to your boss. There's a lot of financial reasons you can use as well. Like, I mean, there's, if you think of uh, the number of disabilities that come with age, right? Um, loss of hearing, loss of sight, loss of dexterity. I mean, I don't have to, <laughs> like, I don't have to, to, to give you the doomsday of, of getting old, but um, we have an aging population. The number of um, users that are going to need, like, need those accessibility features is growing. Um, the, other, the other reason is you now, if you weren't accessible and you are now, you're tapping into a whole new user base you weren't tapping into before. 
Um, so there's a there's number of financial and ROI reasons you would want to do it as well. I remember reading at some point that the majority of the things that you would do to make a site more accessible will benefit people who don't have any necessarily disabilities as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because it just makes the site easier to use and it allows the user to use it the way a lot of those features will help the user use it in a way that they're more comfortable with. Right. Um, so that if, if adding accessibility is hurting your UX, you're not doing it right. Like that's really, and the most oftentimes I see that happen is if accessibility is shoehorned in at the end rather than part of the process and part of the design and development. So you should be getting an improved site by making it more accessible. Absolutely, yeah. You touched on it when you mentioned the manager and money and the like. Do you need to get buy-in from people in your company or your customer to, to make sites more accessible? I mean, in my company, no, but I have that advantage of I run my own yeah, company. Being so. CTO, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That has its perks. But um, no, the... A lot of accessibility does take work. And so if you think of it, it, it's easy. I often describe it the same way as you would describe doing security correctly. It doesn't happen by accident. It takes a little bit of extra work to make sure your stuff is secure. Well, if you're doing accessibility, it takes a little bit of extra work to make sure it's accessible. And so there's a little bit of extra time in development and there's definitely some extra time in testing. And those, like generally speaking, you have to get a little bit of buy-in in order to be able to afford be afforded that in terms of timelines, right? And so there is that there usually there and, and sometimes training as well, because it's not because uh, I know how to type three HTML things that all of a sudden, you know, that means that, you know, accessibility. And so a lot of times, um, maybe the team really wants to do it, but doesn't know how to. And so there's maybe some training or some help that needs to be involved there. And so there you more than likely need some buying from a manager to make that available, yeah. What about from other developers? Is it is it something that's easy for them to pick up or does it add, a, you mentioned that it is more work, but does it add a significant burden? It's one more thing to learn. I mean, in the, if we, and I'm going to speak from the front end because that's what I have the most experience with. But if you think of the stand, like a, the average front end developer, there's a kind of an expectation that you know HTML and CSS and JavaScript and, 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 and this framework and that framework and know how to consume APIs and know, and the list goes on and that you know YAML and that you know JSON and that you know regex and that, and the list goes on and on. So it's even if in and of itself, it's not and I've done it for so long, I hesitate to say that it's not hard um, because, I mean, I have a very skewed view at this point because it's been too long since I've been at ground zero. But it's like, it's a, um, it's an extra thing to learn. And so some people pick it up easier than others, but it's still one more thing you have to keep up with on the ever-growing list of what it means to be a front-end developer. So there is, there is some cognitive weight to it, um, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, I don't touch front end at all, but I can see that it's also changing. I have been unable to keep up with anything like that. I've been primarily back end, and it changes obviously, but it doesn't change nearly as much. I think so. I can understand why that load, that extra, oh, I need to do this one more thing, could be tough for some people. Right. So I, I don't think it's necessarily any more or less difficult than any of the others, but it is definitely one more thing. 
With regard to laws, are there some types of sites that have to be accessible? So, yes, there so government websites have their own special laws around them and there's definitely the ADA but the ADA as it's been contested at this point if you, for some some of you may remember the um the the pizza company lawsuit um anyway uh, the point is there's some back and forth as to whether the ADA covers things that are electronic um so as of right now it's fuzzy if you're not a government website um in the United States now every country has their own set of laws. And there are definitely some countries where it is a, a legal requirement to be accessible. So that my, my general, uh, my general thing for most people is find your legal team and ask them, because uh, they're like, they'll give you the correct answer for not only your country, but also your industry. And so whether you're public sector, private sector, you know, government, that whole thing, like it's a whole things change. But if you're, if you're just average person with your, 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 you know, your personal website or something like that, uh, I always recommend go to check out WCAG. It's W-C-A-G. And um, that's the set of standards that actually most laws end up pointing back to. Um, and that's the actual and the set of accessibility standards put out by the W-3. And so there, and they've got, there's three levels, A, double A, triple A, aim for the double A, and generally speaking, that'll be a nice accessible level, an accessible site that most people are going to be able to use. And most laws at this point either already are or are starting to point towards that, the uh, WCAG AA kind of being the standard. Um, even our laws not too long ago, um, the Section 508, so that's the government website, um, the one that's required for government websites, um, even they turned over to using um, the WCAG AA standard. So... There's um, that's kind of where a lot of laws are going. So if you're if you're not sure if you're doing it for your own personal site where you know you don't have a legal requirement, that's where I would turn. If you've decided, as you say, to be a good human being and make your site accessible, where do you start? Um, there's a number of um, there's a number of tools out there. Um. The some of the and most of them are in browser plugin type tools. Um, so one of them is um, if you're using Chrome, it's called Lighthouse, and it's in your Chrome Dev Tools um, by default. So if you're using Chrome, it's already there, and you can run an audit, and it'll give you a it'll do an automatic check on your page, so the current page you have loaded, and it'll kind of tell you here are some of the things that are you know wrong with your site. Um, there's also one put out by Microsoft uh, called Accessibility Insights for Web, um, which has a similar, they have two different ones on there. They have a fast pass and a like the longhand one where it gives you a lot of details of things to check. Uh, but I would start with that fast pass. And that gives you, it just runs a set of, auto, kind of think you're linter or you're, you know, it just a set of automated tests and it'll definitely point out some things that are wrong with your site. But the thing with the, with those is that's just the very beginning. That's a really good launching point. It's not because you get the nice green 100% congratulations that it means that you're accessible. Um, so keep that in mind. There's a lot of manual testing that needs to happen after that. I was talking earlier about the keyboard thing and being able to navigate with just your keyboard. That's something an automated tool can't test for, for example. Uh, your image alt tags, you know, that description text we were talking about, it can check that there is one. It can't, it's not going to tell you if it's any good, 
right? Like you could have a green car and have written purple flower. It's not going to be able to tell you that that seems off, right? Um, so be very careful with those. They, they're very, very good at getting you started, but they can give you a false sense of security that you're doing everything you need to because you get that nice green 100% and you're happy, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's just the beginning. But it's a very good place to start. And when it gives you errors, it'll have a link that'll tell you here's where the here's the standard that it's referencing, and here are some places you can find documentation on how to fix it. Which is why I really like those kind of as the starting point because it's something actionable that can help you improve your site, and that will tell you where to go to find more information about the error. Could you give a few examples, maybe top two or three most common? things that that would find and what the fixes would be? If you're missing an alt tag, for sure. Um, so if, you're, if you've got an image that's missing an alt tag. If you have a link or a button that has maybe an icon in it and nothing else, the fact that it doesn't have legitimate content in it, it'll pick that up. It'll pick things like color contrast issues. So if your background is too light compared to your four, you know, if you're like Texas too light, on a too light of background or too dark on a too dark of background. So if that contrast between the two isn't high enough, it'll pick those up. Um, those are the big ones. Um, trying to think. What about them. crowded web pages? Uh, take the example of a CNN.com. It is very busy with links. Yep. After link, after link, yep. after link. Yep. Would that be a problem? Probably. Um, so the, what you'll, with very crowded websites, what you end up with issues with is more the cognitive load of it. I mean, technically speaking, I, I don't, and I've never, I've never looked into whether they're actually accessible or not. So um, this is a, a conjecture, but even if you're technically perfectly fine, right? If you have so much on the page that it's really hard to distinguish what's what, that can become very overwhelming and problematic. But at that point, it's a... It's much more of a, who's your user base? What is it for? Who am I targeting and why? And is it, you know, there's, there's so many questions after that because then you're, there's, there's some, there's some gray areas in accessibility, right? Cause you can pass the entire standard and have a site that's not going to be ideal for your user base because it's either too busy or too, too many clicks because you're dealing with power users. Like there's so many reasons why it might not be ideal for your user base. That's where that whole research and user feedback becomes very, very important. The, the biggest piece of advice I can always give with accessibility is get feedback from your users, listen to your users. They'll tell you what they need. Um, what about things like if, you're, if your site is serving ads, you don't necessarily have a whole lot of control over what ad is displayed on your site. True. And uh, so there's a couple ways you can address that. One is those ads are more than likely being served by some kind of ad provider. Um, are there any web prov ad providers that advertise that their, their stuff is accessible? I don't know. But, you know, there's in terms of any time you're picking a third party tool, you can start looking at even before you take it and implement it, is there an accessible option? And if there's not, um, there's this thing called an accessibility statement that you can do. And it, it'll, um, in on the, the with your terms of service and your privacy policy, I generally put the link over there with those links, but it basically gives a 
here's what we've done. Here's the areas that we know are accessible. Here's the things we know are not accessible. Here's why they're not accessible. And, uh, you know, here's what we're doing to work on it, not work on it. You know, these are out of our control, whatever the case might be. But the most important part is also back to that whole feedback bit is they'll have contact information. If you do have an issue, please do contact us at this address and then actually respond to those things, right? Because that's all fun game to have the contact, but you need to actually do the follow through. But anywho, um, but generally speaking, if it's a third party thing, your choices are find one that is. If it's critical and you have to use one that's not, then you kind of have to, you have to judge, right? How critical is it? Um, that's, that's, that that point's decision is like, do I need the ad revenue to make the site continue or can like, there's a game to be played of and that there's not a one size fits all after that. Are there ever any changes that are too difficult to implement? Sometimes. Um, I, I worked on a legacy application once where there was an entire section that basically the only answer was to rewrite the application. Um, and that granted this was in, um, Oh, it's a, what's the name of that language? It's a Java language that compiles to HTML. I can't remember the name now. Don't I've know. only used it once and been for that project. Anyway, the point is, um, based on the specific requirements we were given and the application itself, there was no way to make it accessible, but they were in the process of rewriting the app. So basically we didn't touch that section and made a statement saying, hey, this is the release date for the accessible version. We're sorry, we're working on it. Um, the but there there are times where the you might be better off rewriting. Um, drag and drops, accordions, those sorts of things can be notoriously tricky um, because drag and drops don't exactly work on keyboard. Um, so then you're going to have to find some alternate way to make it work. Then you're going to have to redo. So drag and drop and um, Things like accordions and stuff are very, accordions are actually a lot easier. Drag and drops notoriously is bad because you're going to have to come up with an alternate way of doing that. That are What is uh, an accordion? Uh, the the expandable retractable panels when you click and it expands and you click and it closes. Ah. That's actually a lot easier. But the um, uh, drag and drop is, I, I find to be one of the hardest things because there's no dragging and dropping with the keyboard. Um, Any different challenges between single page applications and non-single page applications not really i mean as long as you have a url it doesn't really matter i mean it's as long as you're navigating using links and urls it doesn't really necessarily matter what it's doing i find the challenges with that are more seo based than than actual like uh accessibility based what challenges are there there with seo um oh, search engine optimization right. in case yeah anyone. yeah yeah the the well if the if you think of crawlers, they're um, they're looking at the non-rendered page, right? So if you're wanting to have like a different title for each of your page or a different description for each of your pages, and you've got a single-page application, you can't. It's not rendered because you only have the one page, right? So that's the that's the fun one. But if you've used the tools that tell you about the problems. Are there any tools, any development tools that can help you fix those problems too? Not that I know of. Um, not that I know of or have used. Uh, most of the tools are more to help guide with 
here are where the problems are. Um, very much like a linter or a test suite, more so than they are how to fix it. Most of the how to fix it are going to be blog articles or in the examples that are out there. Although be very, very careful when you're copying and pasting somebody else's examples. You don't know who has tested that or if it's been tested at all. Um, so beware, just like any other code, like know what you're copying and pasting and vet what you copy paste. Um, but um, no, generally speaking, they're more about identifying issues than they are about fixing issues. And do any of these tools look at the source code or do they all look at the rendered web page that yeah, the, presented in the browser? There's some there's some CLI tools. Um the the tool that um the tool that actually runs under the covers for Lighthouse and um develop, um accessibility insights that Microsoft one, uh those two browser plugins actually runs Axe under the covers, uh, which actually has a browser plugin as well. Um but they also have a uh CLI tool so that you could do it directly on your source code. Uh, there's a number of other ones. Um, Pally, I think, is one. Um, if there's there's if you there's actually a, a page on the on the W3 website uh, in the accessibility stuff that like lists a list of tools longer than my arm. And there's a there's a number of ones that you can run in a CLI or as part of a uh, or as part of a, like a pipeline or something that are that are not necessarily needing a rendered option. There's also recently been a handful of linters that have come out. I've played with a couple, um, and they're okay. But again, they're only going to catch minor things. Like, did you add an alt? Do you have an image tag? Does it have an you know alt tag? Um, so they're only going to catch like maybe five percent of the true issues. If a listener wanted to find more information, where would you suggest they go? Um, obviously, the W3 and the WCAG websites are great. Um, are a great source. Um, I actually have a book called Approachable Accessibility um, that's available on Amazon, um, and that one's uh, has if you're looking for how to get started in terms of your project, um, like project management, putting accessibility into your workflow. That's going to be a really good one um, as well. And if you're just looking for help. Um, Feel free to get a hold of me. Um, we do accessible. We do audits, and we do um, and we do uh, front end development that is accessible. So that's always an option. If you just or if you just need training, we do training as well. So how do people get in touch with you? Um, they can get a hold of me either at martine.dev. Um, there's a contact form on my website, or they can check out our services at uh, andromedagalactic.com. I'll put in links to all of those as well, of course. And then any final notes before we wrap up for the evening, Martine? Um, no, just thank you so much for taking an interest in accessibility um, and uh, just trying to make the world a beautiful place for everybody. And so accessibility is a big part of that. So yay to Great. being a Martine, good human. <laughs> being a good human. <laughs> It's it's a good way to start and it's a good way to end. Thank you so much for your time, Martin Dadden. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, you might also like episode 119 with Amy Kapernick, where she talks about CSS grid layout, or episode 104 with Laura Elizabeth, where she gives design advice for engineers, or another episode on accessibility with Rachel Appel, and that's episode 64.
The opening music was Return by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Access by Anytech from the album Calm and Collect Volume 1.